He is so faithful. I'm a little nervous this morning, but God knows everything, right? Praise the Lord. Before anything, I want to take a moment to just pray unto the Lord. Lord, I come before you in this moment. I want to thank you, Father God, because you have been faithful and true. I want to thank you, Father God, because without you, we would be nothing, Father God. If it wasn't for your love, for your mercy, for your kindness, for your grace, Lord Jesus, where would any of us be, Lord God? And so I want to say thank you for your goodness and for your love. Thank you for this word that you have placed in my heart, Father God. It has ministered to me, Father God, and in the way that it has ministered to me, I know it will minister to your children. And so I'm asking, Father God, that you would open up our minds and our ears today, that we would receive what it is that you have for us this morning, Lord. Cover me, dear Lord Jesus, as I stand behind you, dear Lord God, and use me as your mouthpiece, Father God, to bless your children today, Lord. I thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. I want to talk to you guys today under the theme, Matters of the Heart. Um, today's scripture reference can be found in the book of Genesis, chapter 45, verses 1 through 5. I will go ahead and read those as you guys follow me in your Bible apps or with your open bi physical Bibles. Um, the word of the Lord, it's Genesis 45, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord says as follows. Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians could hear him and word of it quickly carried to the Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into slavery in Egypt, but don't be upset. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this, into this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. And there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And verse 7 says, God sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. Praise the Lord. So earlier this year, you know, I was having a conversation with my parents. We were talking about how many times they've read the Bible. And I think I mentioned this once before, but they, you know, they told me that they've lost count of how many times they've read the Bible from beginning to end. And I made it, I made it a purpose that I would start doing the same thing that, you know, I want to lose count of how many times I've started the Bible in the beginning and read it all the way through the end. So since January, I've been making my way through the stories of the Bible. And one that stuck out to me is one that we've heard plenty of times for those of us that have been in church. Um, Joseph, the, the boy with the colorful coat, just to make it clear, that's the guy we're talking about. Um, and as I was studying this story, I, I came to the realization that Joseph grew up in a dysfunctional family. That was something that didn't hit me before, but he grew up in dysfunction. And 
the thing about dysfunction is that when we fail to recognize that it's there, when we fail to confront dysfunction, it has a tendency of repeating itself. And the thing is, is that it will repeat itself from generation to generation. It's not just, you know, you, it, it will continue to repeat itself from one generation to the next. Um, so when we get to the story of Joseph, we're about three generations in after Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? So we're talking about Jacob's sons, right? About three generations in. And what we find is that there's this, this recurring family history um, of things that, that they should have gotten right, but they continue to get wrong when it came to their families and dealing with their children. Um, so I want to take a moment to point out some similarities that I noticed uh, that continue to occur from one family to the next, okay? Uh, Jacob is Joseph's father. I'm going to try to go slow because we got a lot of characters in this story. Jacob is Joseph's father. Um, Jacob, his mom favored him over his brother. His brother was Esau. Now Jacob has 12 sons of his own. And we see that Jacob, out of all his 12 sons, favors his youngest, the two youngest. Um, and the reason why he favors them is because they happen to be the sons of his favorite wife, Rebecca. Out of all his wives, he showed favoritism even among his wives. He had a favorite. So in Genesis 27, Jacob, we see that Jacob's mom, Rebecca, uses him and manipulates him to cheat his brother Esau out of his birthright. Jacob eventually uses and manipulates his younger son Joseph by constantly sending him out to go check on his brothers. Now, this in and of itself wasn't an unusual practice for parents back in those days to send their younger children out and go check to see how the older brothers are doing. We actually see something similar to this in the story of David. When David was a young shepherd boy, his father would send him out to go check on his brothers and see how they're doing and to bring them food. But the difference here is that the Bible tells us that there's one occasion where Joseph is sent to check on his brothers but he brings his father back a negative report. And it says that his brothers got in trouble because of it. And that caused his brothers to have even more anger and resentment towards their younger brother, which leads me to believe that it's quite possible, and again, the Bible doesn't say this. This is just me speculating from what I'm seeing, okay? I don't want you to go back and look for it in the Bible. I'm speculating, okay? It leads me to believe that Jacob was intentionally using Joseph to check up on these boys, not so much because he was worried about their well intention, but because it's quite possible that he had issues trusting them. Now, and because he had issues trusting them, he was keeping a tight leash on them. Now, the reason why I think, why I think this was happening, right, as I was reading this, we have to understand that Jacob, whose name means deceiver, cheated his brother out of his birthright. He, was, he knew firsthand what it was like to cheat and to be cheated on. He knew it firsthand. So it's possible that he had trust issues when it came to his kids. And the reason why I think this is because as I was studying this, the Holy Spirit made me remember 
that he brought my, actually my husband to my mind. And it's not that Danny is a cheater or a deceiver. That's not what I'm saying. He's not a cheater or a deceiver. But he reminded me of how when our kids were younger, whenever they would try to get themselves out of a situation that they thought mom and dad might be mad at them about, Danny would question them to the bitter end. And he would do it to try to get them to trip them up in their story. And I would always question him, why do you do that to them? And you know what he would tell me? It's because I know them. Because they're just like me. And they're capable of doing what I would do. They're doing exactly what I would have done when they were my age. This is what he told me. And as I'm reading this story, I realize, wow, it's quite possible that daddy, Father, Joseph, Father Jacob, had a trust issue with his kids because he knew that they had the potential to be just like him. Just like him. So hear me when I say it's very possible that he didn't trust them as far as he could throw them. And because he knew that they were just like him, he kept close tabs on them, putting his youngest son in a difficult situation. And the thing is, is that what child doesn't want to do please their father. He's going to do whatever dad asks him to do. Because as a child, what we want is to please our parents. But it causes an even bigger rift between these boys, between, this, between Joseph and all his 10 older brothers. So we see that, Jake, that Jacob, Father Jacob, now decides to give Joseph a colorful cloak. And that really got the 10 older boys angry. And you might ask yourself, well, why would a colorful cloak anger these boys so much? I want to tell you that it's because that cloak was a constant reminder to them. It was a reminder that, number one, Joseph wasn't expected to do heavy work, but they were. And number two, it was a reminder that it was an indicator that Joseph, the second to youngest son, was the chosen heir to rule over that family. Not any of the 10 older siblings, but the second to youngest son. And I can imagine that the 10 probably felt a lot like their uncle Esau robbed and cheated of their birthright. I'm trying to point out how history, how, how, the, how history has a, a way of repeating itself. That when we don't recognize that there's a problem, it will repeat itself. And it'll continue to repeat itself from one generation to the next. Jacob, Father Jacob, is simply repeating learned behaviors that he's picked up from his own parents and that they picked up from probably their own parents. And the problem with this is that sometimes we have a tendency of turning a blind eye to things that we know in our hearts need to be confronted and need to be dealt with. We turn a blind eye, we, we pretend that it's not an issue, that it's not hurting anybody else but me. Um, but that could be farther from the truth. Because dysfunction in the family, as I keep saying, it's gonna repeat itself. If it isn't, if it isn't confronted head on. And we see that Jacob, Father Jacob, had a very strained relationship with his own brother, Esau. He left, when he cheated him out of his birthright, he left his household. And he didn't come back for a long time. Why? Because he thought his brother was going to kill him. And now we see that Jacob's, that there's a severe strain in the relationship between these 12 brothers, sons of Jacob. And we know that there's nowhere in the Bible that says that Jacob confronts it. 
Jacob doesn't recognize it and he doesn't confront it. So how could Jacob, you know, how could Jacob, I think Jacob had his own skeletons in his closet and it's difficult for us to be able to uh, confront an issue when we ourselves are battling issues ourselves. So in other words, if I'm going through something, how can I possibly help my children not go through the same thing when I myself haven't discovered the way out? And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. Okay? When, when there's matters of the heart that, needs, that remain unaddressed and that remain unresolved, it renders us incapable of being able to move forward. And if nobody, if no one steps in to confront it, if no one steps in to say the buck stops with me, it's going to keep continuing. That's why there was the problem with an unresolved issue is that it ultimately ends up consuming you. It ultimately ends up consuming you. And that is why we see what's happening between Jacob and his 12 sons. That's why the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs that 423, it tells us that above everything else, we need to guard our hearts because from it is a wellspring of life. The book of Matthew takes it even a step further when it says that from the mouth, from the mouth, it speaks what the heart is full of. And when you look at Jacob's, um, these brothers, Joseph's brothers, they had nothing good to say about their brother. So it makes you think what was going on in their heart, what their hearts were full of. Because from the heart, what, what's in the heart, that's what your mouth is going to speak. And instead of them taking care of their baby brother, protecting him, teaching him, guiding him, instead of doing all that, they end up hating him and they resent him. And they end up doing the unthinkable. They end up actually plotting their brother's death. They plot their baby brother's death. And thank God that God has a plan in everything and that God intervenes because they end up deciding that they don't want blood on their hands, so let's sell him instead. And they sell their youngest brother into slavery. And then they continue back home and they allow their elderly father to assume the worst has happened to his son. Joseph was about 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And over the next 13 years, both Joseph and his family would continue to experience some of the darkest moments of their lives. Wounded hearts are the product of dysfunction. I'm going to repeat that. A wounded heart is the product of a dysfunction. Most of the time, people are going to, we, we walk around unaware that we're acting out and repeating unhealthy learned behaviors. I want you to know that this function, even though it repeats itself from the next generation, from you to the next generation, I want you to know that, you, that if you decide today the buck stops with me, God is ready to intervene. God is ready to intervene and he is ready to protect the next generation from having to go through what you went through and what your forefathers have gone through. So with that being said, I want to share with you, there's two observations that I have regarding this story. Verse 1 has a couple of subpoints. okay? So the first observation that I want to share with you is that God is in the business of dealing with the matters of our heart and changing our hearts. Proverbs 18, 14 says, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can endure? In other words, 
A wounded human spirit hurts more than a physical wound on your body. You see, physical wounds over time, they have the ability to heal on their own. We know that they're healed because they leave behind the remnants of a scar. And when you press on that scar, it no longer hurts, right? But an emotional wound is completely different because they linger for long periods of time. And they can open up at any given time, they can close whenever they want to, or they can even heal, depending on our receptivity to receive help. That's interesting. It's not that they heal on their own. We pretend that we're okay. But they don't heal on their own, okay? So depending on our receptivity to help will depend on how your emotional wound whether or not it heals. And when we leave emotional wounds unchecked, emotional wounds can literally cripple a person's life. They can cripple you, preventing you from being able to move forward. And that's why the Bible says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then we have 2 Thessalonians 3.3 that says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you. How good is it to know that God is in the business of dealing with the matters of our hearts? How good is it to know that he is there, that when we're experiencing dark moments, he is there ready and willing to deal with what's going on in our lives? I want you to know that sometimes God will allow us to experience emotional pain. And now I want to give you the three sub points as to why he allows it. You might say, why would God want me to go through something like this? I'm going to give you at least three reasons why he would allow it. The first one is to develop a deeper relationship with you. Matthew 5, 8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for those will see God. There is a quote by C.S. Lewis that says, we can ignore even pleasure, but pain insists upon, upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our, in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain has a way of causing us to seek God's presence more than the pain that we are experiencing. You may not want to hear this, but pain is one of the most powerful tools that God can use to process us. It's a tool that he uses to process us. And sometimes there's nothing more, there's nothing that will push us more to God than being in pain. And God will allow us to experience this pain for a short-term period in order for us to reap long-term benefits and long-term pleasures in him. He'll allow it for you to go through it temporarily so that in the long run, you'll be better off. I think I shared with you guys my testimony once before, but I want to share it one more time with you guys for those that don't know. When I first came to ECC, it's been a while now, close, almost 10 years. When we first came to ECC, I, I came here, I came here with a wounded heart, and personally, I did not realize the severity of the condition of my heart. Apparently, I think I had done a really, really good job throughout the years uh, pretending, coping by pretending that it's not there, that it wasn't an issue. Um, and ultimately, 
I know now that ultimately the enemy had used my current situation to convince me that I was damaged goods. I believed that there was something really, really wrong with me and that the Lord needed to fix me. I, don't, I didn't know how he was going to do it or what he was going to fix, but I needed, him, I needed him to just fix it fix it because there's something wrong so I, I i kept telling him lord i need you to fix it so that i could be a better christian i need you to fix it so that i could be a better person a better wife a better daughter a better mother a better friend and i know now for a fact that i i was self-loathing and i believe i prayed for well over 30 years uh the same prayer lord fix me fix me fix me you know, I, I had been in a position of leadership in, in my church for so long, and to be quite honest with you guys, I, I felt like a complete failure and a fraud. And I couldn't comprehend why, why certain things didn't come naturally to me. Um, things like, don't, you know, things like being the first person to say hello. When you're in a situation, to be the first person to say hello when you're with people, right? Things like striking up a conversation in a group with people, uh, picking up the phone to call somebody that I haven't seen in a long time, um, wanting to go out and hang out with people instead of staying home alone and reading a really good book. I really love doing that, by the way. But I would choose that over things that I thought I should be doing, right? And those were things that just for me didn't come naturally. I loved being alone, but then at the same time, which is crazy, I struggled with extreme feelings of loneliness. And I didn't understand back then that I am very much an introvert. And I was trying to be something that I'm not because I thought that being that was what would make me better. And it would make me a better leader. I said, Lord, you know, how am I supposed to be who you called me to be when I'm broken? And you haven't fixed me yet. If I could only just be more like this, I would tell him, then maybe if I was more like that, then maybe I can please everyone and finally feel like, 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 I, like I'm meeting the standards of what I thought everyone was expecting of me. And I set myself up. You know what I set myself up for? A world of disappointment in myself. I felt like I disappointed myself over and over and over again. And there were many times where I would come to the altar of the Lord and supposedly I would lay it all down at the feet of Jesus. And then I would go home and I'd be okay for a while. I'd be good because I left it at the altar. I laid it at his feet. And then suddenly I'd wake up one day with this overwhelming feeling of hopelessness. I don't I don't wish that feeling on anybody. And if there's anybody here today that knows what that feels like to feel hopeless, I want you to know that there is hope in Jesus. You are not hopeless. That is a lie of the devil. But I would wake up some days and I could feel it deep inside my chest where it would grip me. And I knew that I would be bound to spend the next few days depressed and crying for I don't know what. I knew it. This is what would happen. I continued like this on and off for a long time until one day when I thought, I'm okay, I'm good. God used one of my sisters to pray for me. And I remember that when she prayed for me, 
in her prayer, she specifically prayed that the Lord would heal my heart. And as she prayed, she described the condition of my heart. She described it as an open, pus-filled, festering wound. And that description, it shook me. I couldn't get that out of my mind. It shook me. And I remember going home that day from church and telling the Lord, but I thought I was okay. What happened? I thought I was okay and now you're telling me that I'm not? But God in his infinite love and mercy, he loved me enough to pursue me. See, that's the thing that we think we have to do so much. God pursues us. He loves you enough that he pursues you. You just have to be willing to listen for when he's reaching out to you. He loved me enough to pursue me and to let me know that there was still a work that he needed to do in me. Why did God choose that moment? Out of all the other times, dozens, hundreds of times that I had been praying throughout the years, why that moment? Would he choose that moment to say what he said to me? I want you to know it's because he knew that I had reached a moment in my journey with him where I was ready for it. I was ready for him to deal with what he needed to deal with. God knew that that very day, after that prayer, I would make up my mind to pursue him in a way like I had never done before. You see, I had been pursuing God. See, this is the thing about the relationship that we have with God, that we seek him, we seek him, but he does the same thing to you. You coming after him, but then in turn you find out he's coming after you. And it's this give and take relationship that's so beautiful. And he wanted, he knew that at that moment, that when I, when I would hear those words, at that, that day, that hour, at that time, I would make up my mind to pursue him in a way that I had never done in my life. And you see, all my life, I knew of God. You know, I was, I was born and raised in church. I, you know, I wasn't somebody that came to the Lord later on in my life. I was born and raised in church, so I knew about God, but I knew about him by what others had told me of him. And what he wanted was for me to experience him personally and intimately for myself. Not live by what others had told me, but to experience him myself. There were aspects in my life I didn't understand and God wanted me to learn more of him because in learning more of him guess what I was gonna discover myself you know why because we're created in his image the greatest revelation that he has ever taught me is that I am created in his image I'll never forget the day that the Holy Spirit said to me neither you've known him as God Almighty you have known him as God all-powerful, God majestic in all his ways, God king and savior, but do you know him as the lover of your soul? And let me tell you something, there was something about that word lover that in, it pulled something deep inside me. And I said, you know what, Holy Spirit? No, I don't, but I really want to. But I really want to. And I know that right after that the holy spirit took me on a journey through the book of song of solomon song of solomon and he showed me facets of his love that i had never experienced in my life and i began to see god from a different perspective i even began to see my husband's love for me from a different perspective 
And the more his love became a reality to me, the more I began to fall in love with him and the more I began to understand myself. I began to know him in ways that I didn't realize was possible. And then one day as I was sitting at work in my job, I get a text message from my husband. He, very innocently, when he realized later how it affected me, he was apologizing left and right, but God knows everything, right? And I get a text message from my husband and he says, listen to this song. He goes, I think you'll like it. It's a really nice song. It's called Flaws. So I put my, my earbuds in and I start listening to the lady sing and she starts singing. Sometimes I talk a little too much and I don't listen enough. Sometimes it's way too easy for me to beat myself up. Sometimes I get in my own way. I'm way too much to put up with, but you put up with it all. And then she sings my flaws. You love, you love my flaws. You think they make me beautiful. You don't see them as flaws at all. Let me tell you, I couldn't get past the first verse on the chorus. I had to take the headphones off and I had to run to the bathroom and I had to cry. And in that bathroom at my job, I was literally in there arguing with the Lord. Arguing. I, was, I didn't receive it well. I didn't receive it well. I was arguing with the Lord, crying. I was howling and I'm like, oh my God, they're going to hear me. I'm going to get fired. They're going to hear me arguing with the Lord in the bathroom and I telling him how could you possibly tell me that you love my flaws how could you possibly say that everything that I can't stand about myself you think makes me beautiful why would you say something like that to me I've been praying for so long why would you say that to me and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit brings me to my memory Song of Solomon 4 7 that says you are altogether beautiful, my love. There is no flaw in you. And as the tears just were streaming down my face, I came to such a sudden realization. The Lord made me extremely aware at that very moment that the answer to my 30-year-long prayer was, no, I'm not going to change you. And I had to reconcile that because imagine when you're praying for so long for something and then the Lord tells you, no, I had to take a minute to just absorb that. Like, oh my God, you're telling me that you're not going to answer my prayer. He wasn't going to answer me because to him I was beautiful. He wasn't going to answer it because to him I was his masterpiece. How do you tell an artist to redo his, his workmanship? How do you tell him to, that, that, that he got it wrong, that the colors are wrong? How do you tell him to fix something that he created and made perfect and beautiful? How do you tell him? He reminded me that I was fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. And at that very moment, the Lord began to heal the emotional wound that was in my heart. He began to just do the work in me. It was that precise moment in the bathroom in my job. And then the Holy Spirit told me, now I want you to go back and I want you to finish listening to the song. And then I want you to play it again. And you keep listening it. To, and then I want you to sing it. And when you can sing it without crying, then you will know that I've healed you. God is in the business of dealing with the matters of our hearts. He changed my heart that day in my job. 
He revealed his love to me. And he taught me how to accept and love myself for who I am in him. And if it wasn't because I had determined in my heart to pursue him that day and during my darkest hours, I may have never discovered that he's the lover of my soul. I would have never learned to forgive myself and to love the introverted person that I am. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah 13, you will seek and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Maybe you're here today and you find yourself dealing with an unresolved matter of the heart that's left you with a God-sized wound in your heart. I want you to know that the lover of your soul is here and he's waiting for you to choose to seek him with all your heart. Will you choose to seek him with all your heart in your darkest hours? Because he longs to find you in the place where you are. He longs to reveal facets about himself that you've never discovered before. And he longs to mend the broken pieces of our hearts. Are you willing to let him? Are you willing to embark on a journey of self-discovery? Because when you go on a journey with Jesus and you learn more about him, guess what? You learn about yourself as well. I trust you that if you choose that to this day, I trust you, you will not regret it and you will never be the same. Another reason why God may be allowing emotional pain is so that, number two, so that he can... So that you can admit that something is wrong and prevent you from repeating past mistakes. Guys, physical pain in your body, it's a symptom. It is your body's way of telling you that something is not right. Emotional pain is also a symptom. It's your heart's way of telling you that something is not right. We are prone to hiding the pain that's in our hearts. We're prone to pretending that it's not an issue. We tell others that the only person it affects is, is you. And like I mentioned before, that could not be farther from the truth. Emotional pain doesn't just go away on its own. It creates a God-sized wound in your heart. And the only one specialized to deal with it is God. Are we willing to admit that there's something wrong? Or are we going to continue to pretend that everything's okay? Are we willing to seek the Lord and allow him to help us discover the source of the pain? Because that's another thing. If we don't discover its source, then it never resolves itself. We need to bring the source of that pain to light. Jacob had issues. And those issues, they trickled down to his family. Cycles of dysfunction, like we've mentioned before, they repeat themselves until someone says it stops with me. God is faithful to begin the process of healing in us, but the beauty of it all is that he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. He's with you. He's with us. He's also given us, you know, bringing our, our problems and our issues to him. It's essentially what we need to do. But the beauty of it is, is that he has given us the gift of family. He's given us the gift of friends and mentors and spiritual leaders to help us along the way. The Bible says in James 5, 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? So that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is effective. So talking with God is essential. 
and it's what we need most. But there's something about sharing what's going on with you with your family. There's something about when you're going through tough times, having that friend and that mentor there that can hold you accountable. There's something about people who, who you can trust and who you hold dear to you that you can come to that will laugh with you when it's time to laugh, that will cry with you when you're crying, that will celebrate in, your, in, 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 in the things that you're celebrating or that will just sit there and be quiet because you don't need them to say anything. I just need you to sit with me and be quiet. Confessing what we're going through to God and to those that we love and trust brings a tremendous amount of healing. There's something about confessing things and exposing that which has been kept in darkness to the light. I want you to know that the enemy functions in darkness. So when we cover things up and we keep it in darkness, he keeps using that very thing because you're empowering him, because you've, it's, it's, it's in that area that he functions well, darkness. There's something about exposing things to the light. My husband always says, you know what, when you confess it and you put it out there and you bring it to, and you bring it to light, the enemy can't use it against you anymore because it's been exposed to the light. So there's something about confessing things. What is brought to light, the enemy can no longer use against you. So point number one, God is in the business of dealing with the matters of our hearts. Why? So that he can, one, develop a deeper relationship with you. So that he can, two, um, allow you to admit that something is wrong and prevent you from repeating past mistakes. And then here's the last reason why I believe he allows us to experience emotional pain. And it's so that he can equip you to equip others. So that he can equip you so that you can help others. Have you ever noticed that those who bring the greatest comfort to others are usually those who have suffered the most themselves? Amen. Have you ever noticed that? I can't talk to you about what the Lord can do if I personally have not experienced his goodness and his faithfulness. I can't talk to you about that because I haven't experienced it. Some of us here have been praying to God saying, Lord, I am ready for whatever you have next for me. Use me for your honor and glory. And yet you don't understand why you've been suffering emotionally. You don't understand that while you're waiting for that door, that next door to open, you haven't realized that your current suffering is the training process that God is using to transform you into the man and the woman that he wants you to be, to transform you into the warriors for the kingdom of heaven. You don't realize it. I'm asking, Lord, open that door, and yet I'm going through pain, and I'm going through suffering, and you don't realize I can't go into my next until I go through this process first. I got to go through this first. He's telling you that you must be processed before you enter the next. You can't go into the next while your heart remains the way that it is. You may not understand your current situation, but I want you to know that God does. You may not be able to see right now how your current situation or your current suffering would make any difference in your life or in anybody else's life for that matter. But I want you to know that God doesn't just see you here and now. He sees you 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. And he sees the potential that lies within you to change your life, to change 
change the lives of your family members and to change this world. He sees that. Joseph at the time might not have understood why he was going through all the dark moments that he was going through. He didn't understand it, but the Bible tells us that God was with him every step of the way, just as he has been with each and every one of you every step of the way. The Bible tells us that God's favor was with Joseph so that everything that he did, didn't matter where he was, whether it was a slave in Potiphar's house or a prisoner in jail or viceroy of the entire land of Egypt, Joseph was blessed, Joseph was highly favored, and Joseph prospered in everything that he did why because God was with him and God had a plan for him the same way that he is with you and that he has a plan for you oh highly favored of the Lord God was developing Joseph into a leader not just so that he could save his family but so that he could save nations and I want you to know that this wasn't just about Joseph. We read this story and we think God was just dealing with Joseph. It wasn't just about him. God was dealing with Joseph's family as well. Jacob, his father, even though he had been given a new name, Israel, he was still struggling with an identity issue. He was still struggling with his identity. The Lord had promised that through his bloodline, a great people would come. And that through that people, the savior of the world would come and bless the entire world. Joseph needed, I mean, Jacob needed to realize that he was a new creation. And he was still struggling with his identity, but God was dealing with him. And then God was also dealing with Joseph's brothers. You know why? Because they had daddy issues. They had daddy issues. These 10 men needed to be delivered from being untrustworthy men and converted to being followers of God because they were going to be the 12 heads of the nation of Israel. None of them, none of them could enter all that God had for them next being the way that they were. God had to process them and God had to build their character first. Maybe you're here today and you've been praying to God to bring you into your next. I want you to know that God is using your current circumstances to process you and to build your character, to transform you into men and women who are going to be warriors for the kingdom of heaven. This is not just about you. It's about equipping you so that you can go and equip others. It's about him changing you so that you can change your family. It's about him changing you so that you can ultimately become changers of this world. So with that being said, point, we're going to sum up point number one. God is in the business of dealing with the matters of the heart so that one, he can develop a deeper relationship with you so that two, you can admit that something's wrong and prevent you from repeating past mistakes and so that three, he can equip you to help others. My final point, point number two, forgiveness is the key to healing heart issues. You see, it's not easy when someone has hurt you, when someone offends you, when someone hurts you. Joseph had a world of reasons to not trust his brothers and not forgive them. He had an, a bunch of reasons as to why he should hold a grudge. 
much he the, the, the bible says look, look at what it says in proverbs 17 19 it says love prospers when a fault is forgiven love prospers when a fault is forgiven now going back to some context in the bible a famine is what provoked joseph's brothers to leave their land and go into egypt this is after they've sold him after joseph has been in, 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 in he was he was a, a slave to potiphar for, for a few years then he went into prison and we know that from prison he ends up interpreting dreams and he ends up becoming second in command in all the land of egypt okay because he interprets the pharaoh's dream and the and as always god showed favor to him and he appointed him second in command, okay? So now what we see is that there's a famine that has provoked Joseph's 10 brothers to go to Egypt looking for what? They're looking for food. There's a famine. Our family needs to eat. They make it all the way to Egypt and these boys are now brought to where? The second in command of all of Egypt who is also in charge of distribution of food, okay? Um, these 10, Guess what the Bible says? They come before this leader that they do not know, but that knows them. And they do what? They bow down low in his presence. And the Bible says that Joseph immediately recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He recognizes them, and guess what? He remembers his dream from when he was 17 years old that drove them crazy about them bowing low before him. You really think that we're going to bow low to you? The boy with the colorful cloak who's supposed to be the heir of the family? And they hated him for that. And here are these 10 brothers and they're bowing low before him. And Joseph remembers his dreams, but he refrains from revealing his identity to them. And it's believed that Joseph doesn't reveal his identity because he's testing them. You know, he hasn't seen them in over, what, 13 years? It's been a while. Joseph hasn't seen them. And he's testing them. Um, and, 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 he wants to know he's trying to verify whether or not they're still untrustworthy men because if they're still the same people if they're still the same guys that they were when they sold me into slavery then they're capable of doing to my younger brother benjamin what they did to me if benjamin is still alive so he puts his brothers to the test by throwing them in jail he then sends them back to the land of canaan telling them you need to come back. If you want more, then you need to come back with your youngest brother. And if you don't have him, then don't bother showing your face to me because I won't receive you unless you come back with your youngest brother, Benjamin. The 10 knew that there was no way that Father Jacob was going to let go of Benjamin and let, allow him to go to Egypt. I've already lost Joseph. I'm not going to lose Benjamin as well. So the Bible says, she shows us that they have, they probably had about three months worth of grain that they brought back from Egypt with them. Three months pass. The food is going low again. And it looks like Father Jacob now has a change of heart. Because remember, God wasn't just dealing with Joseph. He's also dealing with the brothers and he's dealing with the father. Okay? And now all of a sudden he goes from, you know, I'm not sending him to may the Lord be with him. Hopefully he'll bring him back go get some more food, take the boy with you, right? They come back to Egypt, they bring the boy with him, but Joseph continues testing. The boy is here, Joseph continues with the test. He ends up, Joseph ends up putting his silver cup in Benjamin's satchel, ultimately making an accusation that he took it and creating a situation 
where the ten would now have to leave Benjamin in Egypt as a slave because he stole the silver cup. And it turns out that one of the brothers realizes, I can't leave my brother here. I can't do this. So the Bible tells us, and we see this in chapter 44 of the book of Genesis, that his brother, his older brother Judah, stands up and he begins to tell Joseph, and I'm paraphrasing here, okay? Let him return to his father with his brothers. How could I possibly come back to my dad yet again without my brother? I can't bear putting my old man through that kind of pain and suffering again. So Judah ends up offering his own life in exchange for his brother Benjamin's life. Guess what? This is not the same Judah that Joseph knew back in the day. This is not the same Judah who had no regard whatsoever for his family when he sold um, his brother into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. This is not the same man who, with no regard for his elderly father, allowed him to believe that this boy was mauled by an animal. Judah and his brothers have had 13 years of witnessing their father's long-term grief. 13 years of living with guilt, of living with the shame of what they had done. They are all now fathers themselves. They're fathers who can now empathize with their own father of what the loss of a child might feel like. These are not the same men. The 10 are not who they used to be. And Judah does the most selfless thing that anybody could do. He's willing to lay down his life in exchange for his brother's life. No greater, it says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Judah offers his life just as Jesus has willingly offered his life for you and for me on a cross. This was enough for Joseph. It was enough to convince him that they too had been through their process of transformation. It was enough for Joseph to finally let go of the pain that had been inflicted on him, that he had been carrying with him for so many years. It was enough for Joseph to forgive his brothers and to release them in his heart. I don't know if there's anybody that you're holding in your heart today, but I want you to know that it's time to release it and to let it go. It was enough for him to release them in his heart so that he could be set free. Free to be able to move forward in God. Free to become all that he had created him to be. And free to finally be able to move away and pass his, from his past. It, it allowed him to be free to finally reestablish a relationship with his long lost family. What Jesus did on the cross for us, guess what? It allows us those same freedoms. It allows us those very same freedoms. The freedom to be able to move forward. To not stay stagnant in, the, in what we're going through. I praise Jesus. Joseph, like I mentioned before, he had every right to stay angry. Every right to hold on to feelings of resentment, bitterness, anger, revenge. But instead... He chooses to respond with heartfelt love. 
He chooses to respond like Jesus responded. He extends kindness. He extended mercy. He extended grace and forgiveness according to what it says in Ephesians 4.32. We are called to forgive as we have been forgiven. And when we choose to extend forgiveness out of the abundance of the forgiveness that we've already been receiving, then we in essence glorify God. And we mirror the forgiveness that was offered to us through Christ on the cross. God doesn't call us to do anything that he hasn't equipped us to do. And he doesn't call us to do anything that he ultimately won't use for our good. So as I close today's message, I want to remind you that God is in the business of dealing with the matters of our hearts so that he can develop a deeper relationship with you so that he can so that you can admit that something is wrong and prevent you from repeating past mistakes and so that he can equip you to equip others and I also want to remind you that forgiveness is the key to healing the heart's issues the Lord says to you today when you go through deep waters I will be with you when you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. If you're here today and you know that you've been struggling with an issue in your heart and you know that there is a God-sized hole in your heart, I want you to know that the mender of the broken heart is here he is here I want you to know that he has pursued you today to this very moment and he is waiting for you at the altar if you have been here today maybe holding something against someone that has hurt you I want you to know that you know what it's time to let it go you're not letting it you're not releasing them from what they because of for them you're doing this for you because it's time for you to move forward if you've been praying that God opened the door because you're ready for your next I want you to know there's a process that he's been going through he's been having you go through and he's transforming you the reason you're going through it is because he's transforming you he is processing you because your next won't receive you with your heart the way that it is praise Jesus I want you to know that in the same way he healed me, he can heal you. So if that's you, I want you to know this altar is open. There are pastors here and leaders here. We're ready to pray with you. And if you know that today is the day that God has made to heal you, then I want you to take a step of faith. That's all you need, just faith the size of a mustard seed. Take that step. I promise you, I promise you, you will not regret it. May the Lord continue to bless you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon. We pray it blesses and encourages your life.